What would you say if I told you that there's an artificial intelligence program available right now that writes incredibly intelligent copy on any topic you want without you lifting a finger or typing a word? Yes, that technology is here and it's either an opportunity for us copywriters or it's a threat. You be the judge. And the man to tell us more about that is Mark Bartz, the former chief marketing officer at Shopo, the online fashion retailer, and he's a digital marketer extraordinaire. In this episode, he talks to us about the trends in marketing that copywriters really need to know about, some clever strategies on how to simplify complex marketing projects, how he works with copywriters, what he looks for when hiring them, and much more. Hello, I'm Bernadette Schwert, and this podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and the Australian School of Copywriting. We are the creators of Australia's most popular copywriting courses. If you'd like to take a deep dive into the world of copywriting, check out copyclub.com.au and discover the practical tips and hints you need to upskill yourself as a professional copywriter. Oh, and by the way, if you like this podcast, please help us spread the word and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Mark. Fast facts about you. You grew up in? I grew up in Adelaide. Fellow Adelaidean. You studied what? At what college or university? I didn't study. Love it. I love those stories. <laughs> Self-made man. What was your first job ever after high school or during high school? Uh, unpacking boxes at Target. Oh, what a great place to start. I started at Big W. What's your first ever copywriting job? Well, I don't know if I've had a copywriting job. I did write a column for an e-commerce magazine like 15, 20 years ago, so maybe that. What about your first marketing job? First marketing job? I don't know. I kind of transitioned to marketing. I don't know what that first marketing job was. Maybe running Microsoft.com.au. Oh, that's yeah. a good starting point. Hmm. <laughs> What's your worst job ever in any category? Oh, I don't think I'm going to disclose that because the person who has the worst job is highly litigious. Oh, really? That's probably a good, good, good reason so not to. Someone you would know. Oh, interesting. <laughs> we'll do a bit of a search for that one there, Mark. Um, who's your most well-known client ever? Uh, I mean, I work for Microsoft. Client, I mean, currently I'm doing work with Centre Group, better known as Westfield. Mm-hmm. Cool. And what's the most recent award that you've won? Uh, I mean, being independent, it's a lot harder to get into awards. Um, I was shortlisted for industry recognition for the Aureus recently, but mostly I judge awards these days. Yeah, I saw that. Didn't you get nominated for a CMO, best CMO of the year, chief marketing uh, officer? That, that was a few years ago, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you live in what state? Inner West Sydney, Excellent. home of Australia's culture. <laughs> yes. And you're <laughs> currently working at or as? I, I am self-employed, working as a kind of outsourced CMO and general busybody. Great. So for the uninitiated, CMO is a chief marketing officer. Favourite beverage? Oh, probably a good cider. Young Henry's, nice inner west cider. Good stuff. Favourite food? Anything Indian has got to be good. Mm -hmm. Best book you've read recently? Uh, I just reread Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Oh, nice classic. Great. Beautiful book. Well, let's probably accurate too, depending, considering what we're all going through, you know, a reimagining of life. Yeah, there is. There, there, was, there was a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death that came out about 20 or 30 years ago. And the basic premise of a book was arguing that um, it was basically comparing Brave New World, where we basically, we were controlled through happiness versus 1984, George Orwell, where we were controlled through um manipulation and control and and this this book amusing ourselves to death was arguing that brave new world is the more accurate view of the world mm. 
Interesting. We could talk more about that. Mm. <laughs> now, Mark, let's do a bit of a deep dive into your background because uh, you were instrumental in taking Shopo, the online fashion company, mm. to where it stands now as a leading online fashion retailer. Can you just talk us through what was your journey to getting to Shopo and what you did for them? Uh, getting to Shopo, I mean, that was a, a, a long journey. I mean, my job before that was heading up consulting for an agency for quite a long time where we're working with a lot of kind of big, not exclusively, but a lot of e-com clients. You know, we're doing BW, as you mentioned, your your, your first job and um, like Dimix and Catch, you know, and a whole, a whole bunch of other companies. And, you know, there were some other ones like Allianz, you know, finance and stuff like that. So it, it, it was this amazing training ground where I had a team of uh, very, let's say about, you know, 10 to 15 people who kind of did the day-to-day -day work. And basically, they just called me in to troubleshoot. So I spent several years troubleshooting, like, the hardest problems on some of the biggest sites in Australia. And you can't pay for training like that. How did you get started in marketing? You said you had no training. Uh, what was your ability to know this information? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I could without getting into too much detail, I started off in the music industry actually, and then transitioned from that into kind of in the early days of multimedia production and web production and end up as a developer. And then if you remember back many years ago when the MSN websites kind of ruled the world, I was the lead developer for that globally and transitioned from kind of, you know, building websites to running them. And so it was kind of a gradual transition. It's really interesting. A lot of the marketers I talk to, and copywriters for that matter, often start with a music background and mm -hmm. a, like a general creative background, and then they move into web. They're you know, mm -hmm. early adopters of the web. They maybe studied it at uni in, in terms of, you know, a, a media degree or something like that. But it seems that when you've got that early start in tech, it can be an incredible um, leg up into this current digital world. Would you say that's kind of an accurate summation? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I built my first website in 1994. So it's probably, I certainly didn't study at uni. There was nothing to study at uni back then. But I, I think, you know, have, having that technology background, you know, ha having, you know, worked as a coder on like, you know, where it was like, the, you know, one of the biggest network of sites in the world at the time, I think, or maybe, maybe after Yahoo, I'm not sure. Um, but that, that helps you actually understand the technology and, uh, it, it, it's it's something that I think people underestimate how useful that is as a marketer, even even a creative brand marketer, to actually understand the limitations and the strengths of the technology. Uh, almost daily, I use those skills, and it, it has been a huge help to me. What just on that, Mark? If a marketer is listening, you maybe they're a brand manager, a product manager, in-house marketing, at, at whatever level, but maybe haven't studied tech. Hmm. What? topics, subjects, words, should they be starting to think about in terms of what they should be upskilling in? Oh, I don't know. It, 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 it's not the specific technology so much, although that, that can be useful. You know, no, knowing a little bit of JavaScript does save my butt now and then. And um, I was just chatting with someone about something this morning where knowing a little bit of CSS helps. Um, I, I co-wrote a book on CSS years ago. Um, For the but, uninitiated, that's cascading style sheets. Yeah, it's how you yeah. make websites look pretty, yes. Yeah, cool. So shortly after it was invented, um, which is uh, 97, 98, trying to cast my mind back. But it, it, it's understanding the principles. 
and, and understanding how you know web browsers talk to servers and and data gets stored and understanding HTTP is really useful and understanding sessions and and all those sorts of things and but, but those those principles are like really really helpful and particularly when you start to get into stuff like you know how does personalization work well I mean personalization is built fundamentally on the back of that and then we start seeing the issues at the moment where Facebook and Apple are having a war with each other. And if you actually understand what the real war going on there is, it, it, it gives you a lot more insights on how to adapt to it. So for a copywriting perspective, if you were to advise them on how they can maybe create a point of difference or get upskilled in something, what would you say they should go and study as a short course even? Sure. I mean, for copywriters, it's probably a little bit different. I don't, I don't see that technology will help a copywriter directly. Um, but I, I think being able to understand, you know, having a good understanding of marketing principles is, is really important. And being able to understand how it is measured and be able to contribute to those conversations in a meaningful way. Um, I often see copywriting that there's, and it's hard to avoid this, but there's a lot of vanity metrics in copywriting land, in, in digital copywriting land, in, in, in my experience. I don't know. I mean, you, you probably see this more than I do. What's some of the vanity, vanity metrics you're referring to? Oh, like the most common one is page views. You know, you know the, 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 the thing I see all the time and is, you know, hey, let's start a blog. Let's get someone to write the blog and let's measure that by page views. It's like, well, what's page views got to do with anything? How does that help me drive business results? What metrics should we be paying attention to? Well, that's what I was saying before. It's about understanding what the marketing objective is. And I'm, I'm probably going to sound a little bit repetitive, um, but that, that's the thing that I see missed all the time. And particularly, you know, a, a lot of copywriting, you know, if, if we look at marketing as a spectrum where, and, and particularly, particularly but not exclusively digital marketing, where on one end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, very, very performance oriented, you know, where we spend, you know, $1 and we want to make, you know, and you make $7.32 back from that dollar. So ultra performance based. And then on the other hand, you know, you've got very upper funnel brand activities, you know, not, not all, but a lot of copywriting tends to sit more towards the upper funnel end, which is, you know, which is a great thing. And but what I tend to see is particularly, and, and you know, my, my bent is I, I mostly work for digitally led companies or companies trying to become digitally led. That, that's so. So that's my, my my bias coming into this. Is most companies you know have um, you know start off with performance and then they try and move up into brand. But what you try and what you see is when they move up the funnel, they don't understand what the metrics are. They don't understand what the KPIs are, and they don't understand what they're trying to achieve. Like I was, I was just talking to someone yesterday and they said, hey, we're going to run our first ever YouTube, camp, YouTube campaign. It's like, what tips do you have for me? And, and I think they were saying, oh, you know, you need to set this objective or you need to set this tracking or whatever. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what they were looking for. And I said, oh, yeah, here's a great tip. What's your objective? What are you trying to achieve? What does success look like? And they didn't have the answer to that question. It's like, well, it's, it's, I actually end up sending them... Um, this is over. This conversation was over Slack yesterday. Um, a little um, just Google image search found that image of um, Alice in Wonderland, where I think um, was it when I, I think she speaks to the Cheshire Cat and she says she's at a path. She says, um, "Excuse me, I'm paraphrasing badly here. Excuse me, which way should I go?" And the Cheshire Cat says, "You know, it all depends on where you want to go." And she says, "I'm not sure." And she says, "It doesn't matter which way you go then." Um, and I actually, I actually sent her that, and it's like, 
I don't think it went down very well. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants quick answers, like me. So just on yeah, that YouTube, yeah. let's just use that example for YouTube. Let's say it was, I don't know, a coaching business. You know, they're a life coach, for example. Um, what kind of objectives would you think they should be looking at? A life coaching business? Well, I mean, I, I don't see that being particularly different from any other business, that you need to find new people, so you need to reach people and... I'm going to use this term, which I'm probably going to criticize myself for later, but, you know, awareness. I, I really don't like the word awareness, but I'm going to use it because people have some vague idea what it means. Um, you know, you need people, you know, it, it, it's impossible for your market share to be higher than your awareness. If people haven't heard of you, they ain't going to use you, right? So people need to become aware of you. And then you need to kind of, you know, you've got the textbook marketing funnel, which is a bit of a myth kind of, but whatever. Um, not completely. Um and then you need them to sign up. You need to, and whatever that might be, you know, I'm, I'm guessing for a life coach is to send an inquiry or contact or have an initial 30 minute free consultation or whatever, whatever your goal is. And you can convert them from there. So sorry, what was the question? I've gone off on a tangent here. No, no, it was perfect. I'm <laughs> saying if, if you were a life coach and you're running a YouTube campaign oh, yeah. and you were asked the question of what's your goals, what would some of the obvious goals be? And you've answered that, you know, yeah. get an inquiry. Great. Great, great awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of basic stuff, isn't it? So why do you think people don't get that? Or is it they don't have that awareness of marketing? Well, they've got more complicated. They think it's more complicated than that. I think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of it is people just can't see the forest for the trees. And there's so much content out there, which is, you know, I'm conscious this is a copywriting podcast and probably most people listening to this are copywriters. So sorry, but there's, there's so much bad content out there. And, you know, it's all trying to be helpful and give advice and, and, and people get, you know, people love tactics because tactics are fun and actionable and easy. But, you know, what, what, what I see with the companies that I work for, you know, over and over again is they're doing a really good job of um, executing in the wrong direction. And so, yeah, and, and so a big part of my job is to say, okay, what's our objective and how are we measuring it? And then kind of gently point at the activities and saying, is this medium objective? Does that um, fulfill those objectives? And a lot of the time the answer is no. I'm interested, why are so many companies getting that wrong? What's happening that's enabling that? Uh, I mean, what I, what I personally see, I can't speak to others, but um, I see a lot of junior marketers who, who, get, who get bogged in tactics. That's it. They, they just want to execute and they don't think about the objectives. And um, yeah. I guess that, that, that's one of the things I bring to the table. It seems pretty easy, but people seem to be happy to pay me for it is, um, you know, let's understand what you're trying to achieve. Let, let's take a step back. What's the objective here? Your secret's out, Mark. You're just out of a job it is. now. I've just, yeah, Three questions. Anyone yeah. can do that. What do you, what's your value? Seriously. Mm. <laughs> so let's ask, you've mentioned a few concepts I'd like you know, to expand upon. One is the upper funnel. So people mm. listening, tell us about the funnel in general and what the, the difference between upper, lower, middle funnel is. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is, you know, going back to your marketing textbook, which, you know, look, it's, it both is and isn't useful. Um, you know, what, what was the classic um, one where you've got, you know, awareness. Um, interest, action, in, desire, either. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, your, 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 that's your textbook funnel. And look, there, there is some use to that, you know, particularly, in, in, and again, referring to this from a digital um, perspective, is you know if you're running facebook campaigns facebook has some really neat tools where you can actually execute that campaign all within facebook 
you know, you run awareness campaigns, you engage people with, you know, a, a, a video and, you know, something entertaining, not too salesy. And then you look at people who interact with the video and then you kind of send them into like, you know, a, a, um, a, a lower funnel campaign and then you actually try and convert them. And so, you know, so, so if you look at a well-structured Facebook account like that, um, we're talking Facebook ads here. Um, what you'll see is your, your upper funnel campaign has got like a really poor performance and your bottom funnel campaign has got an excellent performance. But if you turn off the top funnel campaign within like a month or two, your bottom funnel campaign will dry up and, and that, that great performance you're getting will not be great anymore because you, you, you're, not, you're not feeding the funnel. So but that's for textbook, you know, but then at the same time, you know, we're living in this incredibly complex world where people have multiple unpredictable interactions with your brand. You know, the, the, the place people first hear about you can be just anywhere. It can be from a friend, can be from Instagram, can be from an email, it could be from a Google search, it could be, you know, goodness only knows, there's, there's a million ways to encounter a brand and, and each one of them has varying things. So yeah, the funnel, can and can't be it, it can be useful but it can be dangerous as well so let's just do just a bit more on the funnel when you talk about the lower funnel versus the upper funnel for that facebook yeah. campaign let's assume it's a life coach again talk us through what some of the the genuine you know, the the obvious offers would be to get them into the lower funnel versus the higher funnel what is the distinction between those two ideas okay so like a really simplistic one let's say for a life coach you you create some video that you know whatever your top you know, what, what are the most common needs you're seeing from your clients are, right? Presumably, if you're a life coach, you understand what the, the most common needs are. I'm trying to think of what, what an example I could make up would be. You know, people want to know, you know, they're, they're unhappy with their career direction. I don't know, I'm making something up here. And so what you could do is you could produce, let's say, like a 30-second video um, that talks about, you know, career. You know, you might have some testimonials, talk about people focus, um, focusing. You could have, you know, the, the coach themselves talking for a little while, um, you know, about some of their insights, some of their experience, and and, and you push that out there. And, and in, in Facebook, you know, again, using Facebook, just because it does have such a beautiful, neat funnel approach, or, or can have if used well, which most people don't, um, is, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So um, they're coming in through what yes. part of the funnel at that stage? Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's the upper funnel. And so you'd, you, you in, in Facebook, you'd be buying that like on a reach or an awareness or maybe a traffic basis, which basically is designed to reach people as many people as possible. And then what you can do is you can set up a second campaign that says, okay, anyone who watched at least half that video or something, let's show them ads where you can say book a free consultation, um, something like that. And then that drives them through the site, they fill in the form and they get their free 30 minute consultation. And then hopefully you have the skills to convert them from there. So in terms of, I'm interested in this, this journey, Mark, you know, and I think what you're talking about with the junior marketers and the, is that we've become a bit abstracted as to what we're putting out there and what we actually want the content to do and how many sort of touch points, just, and it's not a genuine question, but how many touch points do people actually need in order to buy? So in terms of the funnel, you know, what are some of your strategies for getting people through the funnel more quickly? Oh man, I don't know. Like, like I, like, you know, like I said, I've, I've, I've explained the funnel to you, but you know, at the same time, it's such a complex interaction, and people hear about things so many different ways. So, I, I think people are really good at, get, at at closing the funnel, and certainly the companies I work with, that's what I see them spend most of their time in. Let Let's empty the funnel. Let's empty the funnel, um, and then they they don't fill the funnel at the top, and so they're, they're, they're you know, it's it's for golden goose. 
So um, they're, um, you know, they, they try and, you know, I mean, that's, that's the definition of trying to drain the funnel is like, you know, let's get all the eggs out of the golden goose and you kill it in the process, right? The, the old parable. And so you need to be really careful not to kill the golden goose. And, and there's a certain amount of patience. I, I worked with a startup last year and, you know, it was a, a relatively unique product. So it required a certain amount of education. It wasn't completely unique, but it wasn't just like a me too product. Um, and, and all they wanted to do was just like bottom funnel. Let's just sell, 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 convert, 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 convert. And that's all they wanted to do. And the business did very poorly. I, what is what you're talking about education? I mean, I think these days the concept of marketing is very loose, very closely aligned with education. You know, if you can educate people and give them information and teach them what to look for in your product, uh, then they kind of make their own mind up. Do you think that's accurate, or is it is it more complicated than that? Probably is, but I'm just interested the difference between selling and education these days. Yeah, I mean, you, you get into defining what you mean by education, you know, so, you know, like, you know, educating someone that your brand exists, that that's a type of education, but you, you do need to be careful with education because that, that can very easily lead, and, and there's a time and place for this, but that can very easily lead, lead to more fact-based messaging as opposed to emotive messaging. You know, so 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 someone wanting a career change, they don't want a new career. What you know, what they really want is they want more money or more freedom or more opportunities. And you know, that that's that's the emotive things. Um, and, and so, generally speaking, and, and there's a, there's a, there's a lot of research on this that says that the emotive messaging works better. Um, if you read the the, the seminal work by um, Binet and Field, um, what's it called? Mental blank. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I should be. I'll work it out. Googling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you look at the similar work, and they did research on this, where they said, you know, we've actually compared emotive messaging versus rational messaging, and they they found emotive messaging worked better. Great. So let's maybe jump into some of the copywriting aspects of of what you've done and worked, and people you've worked with. When someone's going for a copywriting job, it's that show poll or whoever you might have worked for, what do you look for in a copywriter? Obviously, that will depend on the job at hand. But what kind of personal qualities would you think are important that you look for? Personal qualities? That's a, that's a good question. Probably um, a track record of being and, and, you know, demonstrated ability of being able to reach customers. You know, so... I mean, when I'm looking for a copywriter, there, there, there could be a number of different things. And, and, and again, you know, this, this is my own bias. I know that, that you know, copywriting is such a vast field and they do so many different things. But, you know, typically I'm after someone who can do maybe social content, maybe ad content, maybe blog content. And they're all relatively, you know, email content. And, but they're all relatively different skills. And, and you know, we tend to, like, like, like pretty much every job in the world now, we're all generalists, right? And, you know, you could have a copywriter who spends their entire life. In fact, I do know someone who spends their entire life just doing email copy. Um, and great, they're going to be deep specialists. So, so probably someone who has experience in those different areas because they are somewhat unique skills. In, in my opinion, anyway, you may disagree. You, you know more about copywriting than I do. Um, and, and someone has the ability to understand, and ideally, and this is very hard to find, but the, the ability to understand how their work impacts for business in terms of niching, a lot of students ask me, should I niche as a copywriter or should I just start off as a generalist? How would you give them advice? Um, 
I mean, pe people get very hung up on niches, I think. Um, so, but, but you, you do need some sort of niche, I think, because it's just how people think. Um, pe people are not very imaginative in, in general. And so if you've never worked for a fast fashion brand before, you mustn't know anything about fast fashion, for example, which I, I think is a little bit simplistic. I mean, you know, but there's a time and a place for it. There are, there are areas where there is genuine domain expertise needed. Um, you know, I've got a friend who does copywriting for tax law. And, you know, I would imagine there's, there's very specific domain expertise needed at that point, and a journalist couldn't do that. But yeah, I think you need a niche, but perhaps a broad one is, is, is my view. But again, you know, you do more copywriting than me, so you could probably answer that question better than I can. <laughs> I get asked it a lot. So I think it depends on the situation and what your background is. But when you talk about niching in your perspective, uh, would you refer to niching as like industry specific about fashion, health, All right, yeah. tax, or would you say email, social, digital, you know? You could slice it either way. Yeah. The way, and I, I think every hiring manager is going to have a different view on on what is important to them. It's like, have you done lots of email, or have you done lots of fashion, or whatever? And I don't think there's an answer to that. So, when you've worked with copywriters in your various uh, roles, what mm. are some of the things they do wrong, or they miscalculate, or inadvertently do that you think stops them from progressing or getting along with the other team members? Oh, I mean, I think they, 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 most copywriters are pretty chill people, aren't they? I don't know. I don't think I've ever met a particularly obnoxious one. Um, but I, I think that the thing that I struggle with, and I don't know if it's answering your question, but I'm going to go off on this rant anyway, because that's what I do. I basically, I basically rant for a living. Um, is copywriters think too much about copy, which sounds interesting. I'll, 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 I'll give you an example. Um, I was working with a, a company just a few weeks ago. And we had some specific marketing objectives we we're trying to meet. They, they, would, they, have, they have a blog and we we're trying to, you know, um, it, it was a case of exactly as I said before, that they, they were executing really well and, you know, achieving absolutely no business results. And so I said, okay, we need to refocus it and came up with, a, you know, a, a, an approach which is proven and almost certainly going to work. I say with a very high degree of confidence in, the, in their industry. And, and their immediate response was a copy response as opposed to a what can we produce that is useful for our customers response. And they're not the same thing. Um, and, and it took me quite a while to kind of untrain them to think about what is useful for the customer as opposed to what 500, what, what subject can I write 500 words about? Was that around the mediums that they were choosing? I mean, this is a difference between strategy and tactics, would you say? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, but it's. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give, I was chatting with someone yesterday, kind of about, about this same subject, where um, we were talking about a very similar business challenge, and that they, they, they were talking about a company they had worked with recently, where they they were trying to. This is an SEO player where they were trying to rank for a particular like you know subject, um, and a very hard competitive subject. So what they did is they they, they put together this definitive guide on that subject where they found every possible angle of it and found what they believed was the best content on that subject and basically just said, here's everything you need to know about subject X. And it was just a list of 20 links. And then what they did over the next few months is they actually created their own content for each of those 20 subjects and, and gradually replaced the links with their own content and tried to do something that is better than those um, 
but those ones they were linking to. And that took three or six months, but they, they had massive, massive success from that. Hmm. What, what's the lesson there? Um, well, what, what they did is rather than saying, how can I create 500 words on this subject? They did, what is the user problem? You know, the user wants to be educated on this subject. And, and, and they fulfilled that. And then there was, there was copy that came out of a result of that. But they obviously put the time and it was a long-term effort or medium-term effort in order to create yeah. that content. Several months, I believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you've worked extensively with um, Shopo, and I know that you were instrumental in implementing some artificial intelligence concepts into sure. how they, how that could be used to help people step through the purchasing cycle. Can you talk us through the AI component? I'm really interested in that. Yeah, AI is fun. It's, it's, a, it's a subject that is very close to my heart. Um, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some AI work now as well. And I, I think we, we both underestimate and overestimate simultaneously the role of AI that, you know, every time you do a Google search, that's all AI these days. Google have transitioned to basically be an AI company, whereas as recently as five or six years ago, it was all handwritten, handwritten algorithms. And now it's all artificial intelligence. And I, I've heard reports of Google engineers, you know, looking at search results and trying to figure out how that ranking happened. You know, as, as, as we were just saying off, off mic, you know, building machines they can't control. Um, you know, good quality results, but just results they don't understand, which is really interesting. I mean, so the specific example, what you're doing, uh, sorry, that you referred to was we're using um, AI to do some visual merchandising um, which is a really important part of, of running an, an on, online store, being able to present the right products. So, you know, you can go to the jeans page, for example, and it's like, you know, so there's like whatever, 50 pairs of jeans, but, you know, the sort of jeans you're after versus the jeans someone else is after is quite different potentially. And so we did some AI that did some, some one-to-one personalization that would say, you know, based on everything we know about you, um, here is the genes we think are most suitable for you. Um, and, and, and we did see a sales uplift off the back of that. But, but you know, with, with AI, there's always, you know, with, with most things, there's always two sides to the, to the coin. And, you know, one of the things that the AI tended to do, not, not, not exclusively, but it tended to promote bestsellers because they are bestsellers by definition. And so that makes sense. The challenge we had there from a kind of broader brand positioning point of view is saying, okay, we, we, we know we have a certain group of customers who want to, who are visiting the site regularly. We, we had customers who would stalk us and know exactly when we did product drops. They, they'd worked out like our product schedule was quite terrifying, to be honest. Um, they'd reverse engineer the whole thing just by watching the site. And um, so, so those people are coming back all the time. And, you know, when they go to the jeans page, do they want to see bestsellers or do they want to see what's new and interesting and most in fashion? And so, yeah, we got a short-term sales boost from it, which is great. You know, that's draining the funnel, um, you know, getting people to move through the funnel faster. But are those those passionate people going to keep coming back and back when they're just going to keep seeing the same jeans over and over again, as opposed to something new, something that's seasonal, something that a Kardashian was wearing last week, whatever it might be. So it's, it's very difficult decisions to make because it's hard to reach. You know, the data says let 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 let's do the popular because that's that's the short term benefit. But what's the long term benefit? It's really hard to measure that stuff. Yeah. So, what strategies do you use to actually make those decisions? Uh, look, at, at that point, you can go down like a whole data rabbit hole. It's generally really 
hard to do and, and in practice you know maybe you've got a billion dollar budget great but in practice it's impossible so you, you do need to make a gut call at some point Mark, let's talk a bit about AI in terms of copywriting. And I know you're a big fan of AI in general, but let's talk about some of the tools, hacks, apps, whatever that are being used to write copy using AI. Yeah, um, I, I, there's a really interesting future there. So there's, there's this engine developed by, um, I can't remember the name of the company, but it, it, it's, it's backed by Elon Musk, which is always both exciting and terrifying, and and they they they've entered like a, a big licensing agreement with uh, Microsoft, and it's called GPT three, and it, it, it's by far like the state of the art in terms of kind of it's the closest we have to like a generalized artificial intelligence, and it really excels at copy, and um, and, and there's tools out there. GPT three itself is, is is basically just um, uh, um an API, but so so people build tools on top of it. And there's all these amazing tools which can which which do copywriting, and and I have used them, and and they're amazing. Um, so I'm talking of one company at the moment where we need to produce, oh, I don't know the exact number. Let's say ten thousand, um, like one paragraph pieces of content on like, you know, all variations of very boring subjects. And, you know, typically you'd have a copywriter doing it, which is not really fun for anyone because it's expensive and no one wants to write 10,000 snippets. And so we're saying, can we use GPT-3 to do this? And well, I'm, we're, we have, it, it's not particularly easy to get access to. They're, they're being very selective about who they give access to it. So I'm, I'm trying to sneak in through a back door at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've played around with that. Um, email subject lines, it does really well at. And it doesn't require like, you know, amazing technical skills. You can give it like human worded briefs. So you can, you can just say, I want a piece of copy on this subject. L literally, I'm not paraphrasing. You literally say, I want, you know, I, I, I want a paragraph on this subject. And, and it understands what that means. And then what happens? And, and then it will spit out a paragraph on that subject. Or, 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 you know, depending on how you interface with it, it will do like three or four variants and they are like true variants. You'll have three or four like radically different versions. And, you know, a couple of them will be rubbish, but there's a couple of them there that will be like really quite usable. Mark, I'd like you to read out that paragraph that you read to me a little bit earlier. Um, just, just, just read it to us and then we'll reveal something afterwards. This is okay. an article that Mark uh, organised. Yes. Um, artificial intelligence is being used more and more to process big data and make smart decisions. It can be used to analyze online shoppers' past behavior, detect fraudulent purchases, and optimize product pricing. AI helps online business owners to better understand their customers. That was written by GPT-3. And, and my, my brief that went into it was, um, write me a blog. I'm, I'm just because uh, I wrote this down. Write me a blog introduction on artificial intelligence is changing the way retail is run. That's it. There's no smoke. There's no mirrors. That's what I put in, and that's what I got out. I, th I think there were like three versions given to me. I chose the best of the three from from memory. It was a few months ago. It's pretty yes. high quality. Yeah, and that, that, there, there's no training. I'm not skipping any steps here. It was that's insane. That is literally what I typed in, and that is what I got out unedited. What do you think is the future then for copywriting with regards to AI? How scared should we be or how can we access it and leverage it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that, 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 that was for a front end, which you should play with. Um, it's, it's a commercial product. We've got a, a, a free version. Um, it's called, um, I think it's called copy.ai. Um, 
I think, you know, there's particularly in, you know, e-com and digital, there's a lot of what I'm going to call functional copy, which is not particularly fun to write and no one enjoys it. Like, you know, hey, here's an e-commerce site and we need, you know, category descriptions for 500 categories. It's like, gosh, what a great job, said no one ever. Um, so that's the sort of stuff that where, where GPT-3 and, and, you know, other future AIs come into play. What will happen with other stuff, you know, the, the, the more editorial content? I don't know. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be feeling particularly secure because, you know, if you'd ask, you know, if I asked you a year ago, you probably wouldn't believe that copy was possible and it is, and it's just getting better and better and better. Uh, I was playing around with, with one of my kids um, a few weeks ago and we, we were trying to figure out how much bias it would have. And so we started feeding all these like really quite inflammatory briefs into it. You know, like, uh, I can't remember, we were doing something like, you know, tell us why Hitler was the best leader ever and stuff like that. And, and it was responding and coming up with really compelling arguments why Hitler was the best leader ever. So, so there's a really kind of interesting ethical overlay there, but it's, it, it will just do what you tell it to. That is very concerning. And I think that uh, it's worth exploring. So uh, for, for people listening, I'll put these uh, the links in the show notes because I think this is fascinating. It's a lot of fun. I want to talk a bit about SEO, Mark, because I know that's a subject that you're extremely well-versed in. And for those listening, uh, you, you just mentioned a moment ago that SEO has changed a little bit over the years. Let's just talk basic stuff for people who maybe aren't familiar with SEO. What is the... Let's just talk, what is SEO from your perspective? <laughs> SEO, I mean, search engine optimization, that's helping your content rank in Google for the keywords. So when someone searches life coach, you know, you probably want to be in the top couple of places in Google for life coach, right? For example. And let's say, and I know this is going to be really hard to answer, <laughs> but you've got millions of life coaches. You've just started a business. Yeah. And if a life coach says to a a copywriter, hey, I want to rank, you know, for the words life coach on on Google and you're a new entrant, what are the the tips or techniques you can offer to that copywriter to help that life coach um, rank more effectively for that very competitive term? I mean, the first thing I would do is set their expectations, just saying you're not going to rank for life coach anytime soon. You're not going to make it the page one. Um but what I would probably be doing is I would be building authority around the subject because Google has a Google is really frighteningly smart. People just don't understand how smart Google is, um, and it just gets smarter and smarter. And, and Google understands who is an authority on a subject and who isn't. Um, and so, if you're writing a lot of content around life coaching, and so rather than trying to rank for life coach, you might be trying to rank for I don't know life coach you know maybe career change advice i don't know using my bad example again i don't really know what life coaches do um and so you could start writing content around that and so so, so think of it as, as a tree where you're kind of building up the different branches and and that's all contributing to the broader subject of life coach and and so by, by writing about different aspects of life coaching and different kind of sub niches in that niche, you know, whether it be, you know, you start talking about life coaching for relationships, for, you know, health, for, you know, personal, you know, wellness. I don't know. Like I said, I don't really know what life coaches do. Um, and, and start writing, you know, lots of content on each of those subjects that will help you in time to rank for life coach. And in terms of the, um, 
the ability for copywriters to know what hotspots on the page Google value. Can you talk us through where are the hotspots that Google looks to initially? I mean, Google's primarily looking for, I mean, what, what, what Google's goal is, you know, you use some empathy, if you can use empathy for an AI, um, you put, get some empathy and, and you say, what is Google's job? Google is to make sure that you have, we, we return the most relevant piece of content for this search. And so ultimately the best thing to do is to create the most relevant content for that search. And what I typically see people, and especially copywriters do, is they'll go and produce a piece of content on that subject, not the most relevant, not the most interesting, not the most insightful. And, and, and we get stuck in this trap where, you know, everyone's KPI driven and everyone says, you know, you need to produce 10 pieces of content a week or whatever it might be. And that completely misses the, the, the point that I mean, I, I don't know how much time you spend looking at kind of um, analytics for blogs. I'm not sure if you do that or not, but virtually every blog content marketing platform you look at, there's a small number of pieces which are getting the vast majority of the traffic and they're the pieces which, you know, have have, have really got traction and so, sometimes there's a matter of blind luck sometimes. But sometimes it's, you know, it, it's often like the really well-written pieces that, that rise to the top. I mean, I was running a blog several years ago on kind of e-commerce stuff and I was doing kind of the usual thing. I was doing like an, I think it was like a article a week or something like that. And it was just like very me too content. And I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to practice what I preach. And so I wrote this like, it was like a really good article on, um, uh, I won't get into details of it, but basically how to produce a, a high converting website and did some like some really good original research, provided some assets. And it took about like maybe three times as long as a regular piece. So it wasn't ages, but you know, I could have made three pieces in that time. And and that piece got oh, like a hundred times more traffic than the average piece. And, and, and it went viral and people started tweeting about it and it started getting shared around in certain communities and that sort of stuff. And so it, it's, it's hard. I don't have an easy solution for this, but, but escaping from this KPI mentality of, you know, you must produce 10 articles a week because it's, it's, it can be quite destructive. And, that, and that's why the web is filled with all this me too mediocre content. So in terms of, um, say, keyword planners, there's a lot out there, some mm. paid, some free, etc. cetera. Uh, what would you recommend? Is Uber suggest? Is it, you know, the Moz one? Any ideas on what's, copywriters can turn to to help them refine their keyword selection even if they're not super serious seo people oh uh, yeah i mean I'm, I'm not a specialist in the tactics these days but when i'm doing stuff like that i probably use um ahrefs but i don't think there's a free version of that could not you just spell that of. mark a hrefs h-r-e-f-s which is also html for a link ahrefs which is where they got their name from Yep. And that, that's kind of a, the cool tool that most of the um, cool SEOs are using these days. Great. I'm not and a cool SEO. Any, anything else that you can recommend? Or any other hacks, websites, apps, anything you can suggest that helps people step through that, that complex SEO journey? I mean, a, a, another thing with, with um, and this is something that directly affects copywriters, is how do you break up your content? Because you know we, we all know when when we're reading content ourselves on online, whether it be on a on your laptop or your mobile or whatever it might be, 
but it's pretty rare that you actually read a piece from beginning to end. You know, and, and there's been studies going back decades that show this, that people scan content and they just skim through it. I and mean, this is not rocket science, but we still write as if people are reading beginning to end. You know, we all know this. We all know this is true. We've, we've probably seen the studies. We know it from our personal experience. Um, and there's been multiple studies that show that when you break up the content, even as even as simple as just adding one image, the engagement and the um, that it gets and how it tends to rank increases significantly. And so, you know, think of how can you break this up? You know, how can we add an image? How can we add like a pull quote? How can we put clear headings in there? How can we put, you know, a bullet list in there? How can we put a chart or whatever it might be? Great advice. Mark, just in wrapping up, um, what advice would you give for a copywriter starting out in terms of building a freelance business? I mean, you're building your freelance business right now. Um, any tips on how they can get started? Oh, getting started as a copywriter, man, it's, it's pretty hard. It's competitive out there, as you would well know, and it's, it's hard to differentiate yourself. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I've never started to build a, a, a freelance copy business. I mean, for me, the sort of person I'm looking for is someone who has, you know, I do hire copywriters, is someone who has a, a level of domain expertise. You know, so like I hired one like a few months ago for uh, a website that sells kind of furniture and found a copywriter who had some, some interior designing expertise. So that was useful. But then also someone who can work towards object, an objective and speak meaningfully about that objective. And that, that's the bit which I find very, very hard to find. That's a, a great piece of advice for people looking to maybe make that point of difference. You know, they've had a, a, a background, you know, in business and they can bring that to their, to their new role as a copywriter. So, Mike, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to engage you for anything? Oh, my website is markbarter.com or my email is mark at markbarter.com or look me up on LinkedIn where I'm pretty active usually, um, mostly just being bored and teasing people really. Sounds like you had a very cool lifestyle there, Mark. <laughs> uh, I just, I like to amuse myself. Well, that's fantastic. Well, you, thank you for your insights and wisdom. It's been great to talk to you. Cool. Thank you, Bernadette. I still can't get my head around how amazing that copy was and it was written by a robot. Wow, <laughs> that's the future. And what I loved about Mark's perspective and, and his insights was about the simplicity. It's about keeping it really simple, going back to the basics. And that simplicity is a commodity in short supply. So to leave you with a quote about simplicity, I'll take one from Lao Tzu, the author of The Tao Te Ching. And he said, I have just three things to teach. Simplicity, patience, compassion. These three are your greatest treasures. I couldn't agree more. Now, my writing tip of the day, write as if the person you are writing for is sitting directly in front of you and you're having a conversation with them. That's how your copy should sound. And my joke of the day, because I know you're waiting for it, and this is one I actually wrote myself, and I know you'll never be able to tell. <laughs> What did the baby Japanese bean say at his mummy's funeral? That's the end of mommy. If you'd like to learn more about our copywriting courses, you can visit writerscentre.com.au or copyschool.com and see what course is best for you. So please connect with me on LinkedIn if you'd like to stay in touch. I'm Bernadette Schwert. All the best. Take care and bye-bye. <laughs>